When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, chickens. This is the fabulous Adam Richard, and I have a theory. Oh, hey, chickens. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, Still talking about Amy's Choice. We're going to be talking about this for weeks now. Um, So Paul has sent me a very, very in-depth email about Amy's Choice. He's referenced a lot of the Moffat era um, in a bunch of emails he's sent me, and I went back to have a look at them, but Amy's Choice just got a kind of cursory mention in uh, talking about the Doctor's dark side. Um, but in he sent me this one just recently. Uh, so his pros and cons. Uh, his pros are the banter between the trio. Uh, the TARDIS layered in ice. It does look really effective. It's amazing. And the Dream Lord as an antagonist. Yeah. And Toby Jones just relishing that part, having a ball. Uh, the cons, the Echna Deans. Echna, I don't really know if that's what they're called. I feel like, I feel like Matt Smith just said whatever came to his mind and never had to retcon it. Um, their reasoning was bland. Oh, very bland. Um, and needed another five minutes of screamed, screen time for the Dream Lord to have some scenes purely with Amy and Rory about who is the Doctor. Yeah, I felt like that too. And that, that's why I found the the weird, you know, using the combi van to go and save half the people in the village, like a weird kind of detour. Because it's like, oh, there could have been so much more meat in this episode. I found that a lot during the Moffat era. I felt like they, the episodes, like, it didn't say, they had too much to fit into an hour. But then occasionally they'd do a two-parter and you'd be like, oh, it's not enough to fill these two out. Um, so, yeah, may, maybe Chris Chibnall had the right idea. Just an extra 10 minutes. That's all we needed. <laughs> Um, so Paul says, uh, after watching sci-fi since the mid nineties, you find yourself watching over many series episodes with the same storylines. For me, what distinguishes the uniqueness of a show are episodes like this one-offs like listen and midnight are other examples. Oh my God. 
Midnight, one of my favourite ever episodes. Uh, Amy's Choice does what these other two do best. Have the Doctor on the back foot. When you have the main star of a show always the smartest person in the room, finding gems in the rough can be difficult. The Dream Lord was and still is a fascinating side to the Doctor. Um, the quote below sums up why an episode focusing on who may be the real madman in a box is why Doctor Who is worth my time. And then he's put in a whole section from A Good Man Goes to War. Um, <laughs> someone old, Tardis Blue, Doctor Angry, something new. Oh, cute. Um, but it's the scene where the Doctor is uh, saying uh, he wants Colonel Manton to be known as Colonel Runaway uh, and by telling his troops to run away. And he's like, you know, uh, I want people to, in the future, to, you know, I want people to, when people ask if trying to get to me through the people I love is in any way a good idea, I want you to tell them your name as in Colonel Runaway. Oh, look, I'm angry. That's new. I'm really not sure what's going to happen now. Ooh. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a quite a scene. Uh, so Paul says the episode layout has the story unfolding instead of hitting us with the villain from the outset. Seeing the trio finding their feet and working out uh, the conundrum continues to draw in the viewer until the Dream Lord flashes into the narrative. What adds to this is the TARDIS, until this point, is impenetrable. In the most recent era, the TARDIS has an open-door policy. I know, they keep getting in. What's going on? Uh, Doctor Who excels when you don't have good and bad holding weapons at each other. The Dream Lord never lets the trio get too comfortable before changing the scenery. The Doctor not having control is great to see, as being ten steps ahead is now reduced to a few behind. I would have loved more scenes with the Dream Lord, Amy and Rory. This era always had the underlying theme of who is the Doctor. The Companions have their own scenes contemplating this question, though the uniqueness of companions communicating with the side of the Doctor was touched upon, though not fully fleshed out. The Echnodines reminded me of the Thajarians from Demons of the Punjab. Oh, I really liked them. Uh, a new Who species that could have been as interesting backstory, but sadly was glossed over quickly. The Thajarians went from assassins to being witnesses of those alone at their death. The Egnadines had a bad experience, so they chose to be bad to others. Definitely the weakest part of this story. Even when the Doctor realised who the Dream Lord is, he still wasn't fully on top of things. When Rory passes, Amy has her best scene of the episode. Oh, it's amazing when Amy makes that decision and she's just like, she's like, why can't you save him? And he's like, I can't always save people. And she's like, well, what's the point of you? Um, and she decides that this is the dream because if this is real life, I don't want it. Oh, I don't want it. It's really gorgeous. Great performance from Karen Gillan. Uh, Paul says, Amy's face during this scene highlights something that gets overlooked a lot during uh, Doctor Who. The Doctor is always alone. It doesn't matter how many companions or how many of them believe they're the best friends. When push comes to shove, if the Doctor can't give them what they want, then the individual true colours show. Ooh. Um... And then he's uh, included a scene from The Doctor Falls, the one where, you know, the Doctor is facing down Missy and the, the Master and, you know, everything's falling apart and he's just, you know, he basically says, these people are terrified. Maybe we can help a little. Why not? Just at the end. Just be kind. Like wanting Missy to stand with him and it's just like, oh... So good. That was I, that two-parter at the end of Capaldi's 
era was amazing. Like, I kind of wish he regenerated in that episode instead of fannying about in the snow with David Bradley. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed that episode, but then it had, like... It had no stakes in the end. Like, so you got to the end, you're like, oh, nothing was happening. Um, anyway, uh, Paul says uh, about the scene with Missy, I love this scene for, for many reasons, but having the two most prominent Time Lords on screen, not trading blows, but the Doctor showing his ethos is powerful. He's not trying to be invincible and all-conquering, but just lending a hand here and there, hoping for more positive than negative. Now, I know I've gone way off course. <laughs> I don't mind. Have you listened to this podcast? I'm never on course. Um, uh, But the Dream Lord provided us with a side of the Doctor rarely seen like this. Uh, The Doctor, like anyone, has many faces. Why I loved 12 so much was he never hid them. He would verbally show you he wasn't Mother Teresa. Um, Oh, my God, that reminded me of like... (laughs) When I was doing the comedy festival one year, there was uh, the... I was in like, I think it was the backstage room in the town hall. And a gorgeous woman called Lauren, who was doing the door in my room, and there was a girl called Jill who was doing the door down the corridor, and we were just kind of gas bag before shows went up. Um, and Jill uh, once was trying to remember the name of Mother Teresa, and she's going, you know, the one in, <laughs> I forget what it came up. She goes, you know, the old woman with the with the kids, she helps them out, Madam Teresa. <laughs> I just went, it's Mother Teresa. <laughs> like, Madame Teresa just sounds like a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> like, hi, I'm Madame Teresa. I've got your salvation right here, dolls. Um, <laughs> anyway, Mother Teresa. <laughs> Lovely Jill. Uh, anyway, um, Paul, you were saying, uh, Mother Teresa. Eleven didn't use words to show his disdain, but looks. Matt Smith would subtly change his expression when showing you the not-so-nice nice side of himself. Um, yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Like, Capaldi was very much a, give me a full page of dialogue and I will just destroy this scene. Whereas Matt Smith, I reckon, was really good at using just glances. Like, I, one of my favourite stories I've ever heard, which I think it was the screenwriter Eric Roth told it um, on a podcast. Um, he recently wrote June. I think he's written, like, Forrest Gump. He's an amazing screenwriter. Uh, and he was talking about... Um, a script that Al Pacino got and it was like two full pages of dialogue and Al Pacino's gone, oh, I don't need to say this. I can do this with a look. And the director's like, really? <laughs> like it's two pages of dialogue. And so they played the scene and he did the look and the screenwriter was like, you know, for someone that wrote two pages of dialogue, uh, he really did play it with a look and it didn't need to be there. And it's like, wow. And yeah, maybe that's the difference between them. That's interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, Paul says the Dream Lord, even up until his eventual departure, made Eleven uncomfortable, just as the War Doctor does in his reveal in the name of the Doctor. Um, reflecting on the ending, I can see... Two outcomes. A casual viewer may see the explanation as a cheap tie-up to a story. The Doctor has a significant rule aligned with him. Rule one, the Doctor lies. My thoughts are that the Doctor lied about the psychic pollen. Oh, that is a great theory. He gave a reason that any gullible traveller would accept. This was a situation that the Doctor didn't win or succeed in, but that the antagonist left mid-fight. The Dream Lord acknowledged his defeat, yet also is the Doctor, so rule one would be applicable. This is why I could see this character return, putting the 
story aside, having an episode play out partly in the TARDIS is welcomed. I would acknowledge that you cannot write an episode solely around the console, but in this case, the writer chose how to use the most iconic feature of this show in a way not utilising its strengths. Oh, that is great. Yeah, if the psychic pollen was not a real thing and it's just like, you know, sometimes the Doctor falls asleep and drags people into his dreams and tortures them. Oh, my God, the implications. Like, yeah, my subconscious is not okay. Uh, all right, next episode we're going to have some speculation about the forthcoming special. I know we keep doing that, but um, this is fun speculation. <laughs> it can't be spoilers because we don't know anything. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.